Are you familiar with the acronym FOMO? F-O-M-O? It stands for the fear of missing out. It's this social anxiety that our culture has created where we think we're going to be at the wrong place when something really exciting happens. That we'll show up to our job or to school the next day and someone will ask us, Hey, did you hear about, did you see? And then we'll respond sheepishly, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. And we feel right then that we're going to lose all of our cool points and our balloon just deflates because we didn't know we missed out. You know, in our, in our culture, we have information always at the tips of our fingers. We have smartphones, we've got devices, there's social media always ready to let us know the latest and greatest, what's just taken place. There's this constant barrage of information. And so some people actually sleep with their phones right next to them and their alerts set so that if in the middle of the night something happens, well, they can find out right then and there. They'll be the first to know they won't miss out. They won't experience FOMO. Well, that's the sad part about the story of Joseph. You know, we now come to the end of this exciting narrative. We've read his biography and it's been so great. We admire his courage and his strength and his faith and his determination. And we'd all like to see ourselves in Joseph. But in this end of the story, we realize that a lot of times we can miss out and we can live life a whole lot more like his father, Jacob. Let me show you what I mean as we conclude this exciting narrative together. Genesis chapter 45, verses 16 through 28. It's our conclusion of this exciting series, Meant for Good. Let's go ahead and read. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for all the best of the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin... He gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is the ruler of all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, when he had said to them, and when we saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so we come to the end of this exciting series on the biography of Joseph. 
And it has been an exciting series. We've heard so much good feedback from you, and thank you for being a part of it in our online services. And, you know, we've discovered that a lot of us identify in some ways with Joseph. Because some of us come from dysfunctional families, and Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. Some of us have experienced sibling rivalry, and we see Joseph experiencing sibling rivalry. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, we might have done some dirty things, but at least we never sold our brother into slavery. And we feel a little bit better about ourselves. You know, Joseph endured so much, and some of us have endured so much. You look, and you see, man, Joseph was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused in Potiphar's house. He was forgotten in prison. We've learned a lot from Joseph. We've seen a lot of Joseph's travels. But we remember that Joseph was able to dream these dreams and interpret these dreams. God had given this gift, this ability. And because of that, he was introduced to Pharaoh. And then he became second in charge, really in the world at that time. The second most powerful man in the world. And then his brothers show up. And that really reveals the kind of man Joseph is because in that moment, he could have had revenge, but instead he offers grace. He's able to forgive. He's able to restore and grace turns over another chapter. You know, we've seen how Joseph's understanding and faith in God really allowed him to forgive his brothers and to reconcile with his brothers and to heal this highly dysfunctional family. You would think that a moment like that would be so difficult, wouldn't you? Your brothers who had sold you into slavery, they come, they show up, they're there, they're now desperate, dependent on you. This is your chance to get revenge. But instead, Joseph, he doesn't take any revenge at all. He actually tells the brothers, hey, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be frustrated with yourselves because I am where I am because of God. I am who I am because of God. It really is an incredible story. And so now we're at that point in the journey where the whole family can be together again. Not just Joseph and his brothers, but it's time for their father Jacob to be reunited as well. And so Joseph tells his brothers, hey, you got to go home. You got to get dad. You got to bring your wives. You got to bring your kids. You got to bring the whole family. Get them all back to Egypt. And when Pharaoh hears the plan, oh, he's excited. He says, yes, you can have my blessing. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take wagons down. I want you to take the beast down. I, I want you take load them up with grain and food and anything you have and tell them to come in fact they don't even need to pack their goods because they can have the best here in the land of Egypt you just get your family here Joseph you tell them Pharaoh said so now when we read about the wagons you know, our conception of a wagon is usually some old wooden rickety cart with wheels that are about to fall off, just kind of bumping along a dirt road. You need to understand, wagons in that culture at that time were really an unheard of thing for most people. I mean, only the elite of the elite were able to use a wagon. Everyone in those days, they either walked or they rode an animal. Nobody rode in a wagon, which were really the automobiles of the ancient world. And these wagons, they, they were carts that were covered in gold. They were not wooden. They were covered in gold and they were bedazzled with jewels. These are Pharaoh's carts and they were pulled by the most handsome of animals, attended to by the finest of Pharaoh's court. You just did not ride in a wagon like that. 
unless you were really somebody. So just imagine this entourage of gold-covered carts pulling in to famished, poverty-stricken Canaan. All these animals, all this food, these unbelievable wagons, they pull into this famished country that's been just desolated because of the famine. Oh man, that must have been the talk of the town. Nobody ever would have forgotten about this. I mean, Pharaoh was sending Jacob's family to come and return to Egypt in style. Joseph also sends them with this most curious instruction. He says, do not quarrel among yourselves. I don't want you to argue. And you look at that and you think, why would these brothers be arguing? I mean, look at everything they've just been given. I mean, they've got these carts they're getting to ride back with. They've got these animals. They're loaded down with food and grain for their journey and for their journey back. I mean, why would they be arguing after all of that? Well, just think about it for a moment. Just because you've repented doesn't mean that you won't fall back into past sin, past temptation. The temptation can still arise again. And Joseph had given Benjamin five times as much clothes as any of them. He's given Benjamin 300 shekels of silver. In a sense, Benjamin is now wearing the coat that Joseph used to wear, you see. It would be easy for the brothers to look and to think, oh, Benjamin, now you're the favorite. Now you're getting everything. Joseph's going to treat you the way dad used to treat him. There's that. And then there's also this. Joseph is sending his brothers back to, to bring their dad home, to bring their dad back to Egypt. Well, that means a conversation is going to have to take place with Jacob. And how are you supposed to tell your dad that, hey, hey, dad, I know when we showed you that bloody coat all those years ago, we let you believe that an animal attacked Joseph. Well, actually, we sold him into slavery. How are you supposed to have a conversation like that? How is that exactly supposed to go? How do you apologize for something like that? I mean, this is a difficult conversation. And Joseph knows that this conversation and how you're supposed to have that conversation, well, that can create a lot of arguments. Because how do you tell somebody that, yeah, who you thought was dead actually showed up in Egypt. He's alive. I mean, what, 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 how do you explain that? And he knew the brothers, they could have had some kind of argument. Maybe they would say, oh, well, you know, dad, maybe uh, Joseph was attacked by animals and they just drug him all the way to Egypt, huh? It could happen. Maybe they would say, uh, hey, dad, you know, maybe he was attacked by animals and then he came to, but he was just so out of it. He just wandered all the way over to Egypt. And then Reuben, maybe Joseph could imagine Reuben piping in and saying, guys, come on, let's just tell him the truth. But make sure to include the part where I kept y'all from killing him. And then Judah might pipe in and say, you know what? Yeah, you guys really did want to kill him. But hey, it was my idea at least to sell him away so he could live. And then Benjamin might pipe in and say, man, you guys were crazy. I can't believe y'all did all that. It's, it's terrible. You guys are really in trouble now. And then all the brothers turning against Benjamin and say, well, look at you, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Who do you think you are? See, Joseph knew that this hard conversation that they were going to have to have with their dad, well, that it could inspire a lot of bickering, a lot of arguing, a lot of quarreling on the way home. Because how are you supposed to have a conversation like that? We don't really get to read how the, the brothers explain this to their father Jacob. We don't know exactly how it happened, how Joseph went from dead to Egypt. We, we don't know how they say that. 
In fact, it almost seems as if they just try to overwhelm Jacob with good news. I mean, did you catch it? I mean, they come and it's almost as if they just overwhelm him and say, Dad, 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 you won't believe it. Joseph is alive in Egypt. He wants us to come. We got to get ready. He, look, he sent wagons. He sent everything. He wants us to be there. I know you got a lot of questions, but we don't have a lot of time. We'll talk about it on the way. Come on, let's go, Dad. Just overwhelming the old man with all this good news and all this joy. I mean, because how are you supposed to have a conversation like that? Well, Jacob hears it all, and at first his heart is just numb. He's having a hard time believing. Because after all, for all these years, Jacob has known one thing. His son Joseph was dead. And he's felt the pain of that for 25 years long years. Every single day he's woken up with the sting of that. I mean, what's, we, we followed Joseph's life. We've seen the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns and the excitement and Joseph's continued faith and it's been an exciting ride. But what's Jacob been doing all that time? Well, he's just been sitting at home waiting to die. He's just dealt with the sting in his heart, just this pit that would never go away. I mean, you think of the last few interactions that we've seen with Jacob where, where he comes up. These are not strong statements of faith. You remember the, the brothers, they bring that bloody coat to Jacob and, and they just say, Dad, what, what do you think happened? And Jacob says, oh, my son has been killed. I will grieve to my dying day the loss of my son. And then later, the brothers return from Egypt the first time. And, and they say, Dad, we, we got to go back. And we got to bring Benjamin this time because the prime minister thinks we're all spies. And we got to prove that we really are brothers, sons of one father. We, we, we need to show him this. We have to prove this. Benjamin has to come with us. And what does Jacob say? No way, that's not happening. I've already lost two sons. I cannot bear to lose another. There's no way you're taking Benjamin with you. And then finally, the food runs out. They're hungry again. They're starving because they have nothing to eat. And so Jacob relents. And what does he say that time? Oh, if God takes my sons, he takes my sons. There's nothing I can do about it. But sit here and wait. To die. So this is what Jacob is doing. He does offer this prayer of desperation, but there's no statement of faith from Jacob. There's nothing saying, well, we're going to see how God works this out. We're going to see how God provides, how God protects our family. He's going to take care of us. We can have faith. We can know that. No, there's, there's none of that from Jacob. We don't, we don't see that. And the interesting thing about this is Jacob had heard all the stories. I mean, Jacob was knew the stories of his grandfather and his grandmother, Abraham and Sarah. He knew how they had left their homeland, left everything they had ever known, and how they went to this foreign land, and how God protected them and provided for them. He'd heard the stories of how God had made this promise to Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. And even when Abraham and Sarah were old and childless, how God fulfilled that promise, he knew the story concerning the birth of his father, Isaac. And he knew how he himself was now in the line of promise. He, he knew all this. Yet Jacob knew all this. 
And he wasn't a weak man. I mean, Jacob was not a weak man. He, he was not always a very moral man, but he definitely was not a weak man. I mean, you think back to Jacob's life and how he just told this bold-faced lie to his father Isaac and stole the birthright from his brother Esau. I mean, he's not a weak man. I mean, you think of uh, how he worked 14 years, 14 long, hard years to marry his beloved Rachel. And then you think how he wrestled all night with God. Have you ever wrestled? Did you know that a, a basketball game has four quarters each 12 minutes? It's 48 minutes long. A football game lasts an hour, four 15-minute quarters. A baseball game, nine innings, usually lasts three hours or more. A wrestling match, you know how long a wrestling match is? Seven minutes. Just seven minutes. The first period is three minutes. The last two are two minutes each. Because wrestling is exhausting. I mean, if you're not in tip-top physical condition, you can pass out in just 30 seconds. And we know this about human wrestling. Jacob, he wrestled all night with God. Can you imagine God grabbing hold of you in the middle of the night, not letting go, and you being able to wrestle with that and withstand that all night long? I mean, this is not a weak man. This is a strong man. But what happened to Jacob? Well, you know... Because the same thing happens to us. We think that God is working in one way. We think that these ought to be God's plans, that this is how things ought to unfold. And so instead of actually asking God, instead of actually studying his word and praying, we, we just go off living the way we think things ought to be. And then things don't work out the way that we thought we would. You know, Jacob was a man who knew what God had done for Abraham. He was a man who knew what God had done for his father Isaac. He was a man who knew what God had done in his own life. But then he took control. He took control. He, he saw his beloved wife, Rachel, give birth to Joseph. And he took control because his dream was that this promise would flow through Rachel's son. And so he gives Joseph the code. He protects Joseph from any of the hard work. Doesn't want Joseph to get hurt. Just let him live a life of ease so that he can have the promise, so that everything can throw, go through him. This was Jacob's dream. But when Joseph died, the dream died, and the dream had been dead for 25 years now. He knew how things ought to play out. He, he knew how God ought to be working Except things didn't play out that way. Except that's not the way God was working. The dream had died. All the plans go up in smoke. And because we can't feel it, because we can't see God moving the way we think he ought to be moving, we can't see him working the way we think he ought to be working, we give up. We miss out. A lot like Jacob. However, the whole time... God is at work, just in ways that we don't always see, in ways that Jacob couldn't always see. Because then the moment comes, the good news arrives. The guy you thought was dead just showed up alive. And when the guy you thought was dead shows up alive, well, that changes everything. So the early disciples found out, didn't they? I mean, as they walked away from the tomb, they knew it was over. That tomb was secure. The body was in there. It was over. And then the women go back 
on that Sunday morning just to finish up the funeral because they didn't get to bury Jesus just properly with all the spices and everything that he deserves. So they show up to finish the funeral. Only thing is, the funeral is called off due to life. And Peter, you remember? I mean, Peter, he, he couldn't even tell a teenage girl that he knew Jesus. And then... When the guy you thought was dead shows up alive, what happens with Peter? Well, just a little time later, he's standing in downtown Jerusalem preaching the gospel, letting everybody know this is what happened. This is the hope that I now have. When the guy you thought was dead shows up alive, that changes everything. That's something you never stop talking about. That's something you never forget. That's something that sticks with you. It never grows old. And you don't want anybody to miss out on that because you know that is the most incredible news that's ever been heard, that's ever been told. Jacob heard the news that Joseph was alive. The guy he thought was dead just showed up alive. And how does he respond? Well, he can't believe it at first. His heart is numb. You know, I'm afraid that too often the guy that we know was dead and we know now is alive, that too often our hearts can be numb to that news as well. I mean, you look at it, what do you spend your time talking about? You're talking about sports, politics, the upcoming election, or are you talking about a man who was dead who is now alive? See, where do you spend the majority of your time talking? Because that, that will show you something. That will reveal, are you missing out on the life God has for you? So, Jacob sees the Egyptian wagons. And it's as if God is just saying to Jacob, wake up, Jacob. The dream is alive. And things change when the guy you thought was dead shows up alive. Jacob heads for Egypt. But he still can't quite get his mind around it. You know, early uh, one morning on the, on the journey to Egypt, he gets up and he just offers sacrifices. It's as if he's asking, God, God, is this really where you want me to go? Do you really want us to go to Egypt? Is my son Joseph, is he really alive there? And then God responds in the most tender kind of way and just says, Jacob, I am with you. Go to Egypt. I'm going to bring you there and I'm going to make you... A, a mighty nation there. And then I'm going to call your nation back home, back to Canaan. I'll bring you back. And when you get there, you need to know Joseph will be with you when you die. He'll be there to comfort you in your last days. Well, this is all the encouragement that Jacob needs. He and all his family, a total of 70 at that time, they head to Egypt. I want you to read how this family reunites when Jacob gets to see his son Joseph for the first time in about 25 years. Genesis chapter 46 verses 28 through 30 says this, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. What a beautiful scene. A father and a son reunited after 25 long, hard years, 25 years of knowing that your son was dead. I mean, Jacob and Joseph, they just hug one another. They grab each other's necks. They, they cry on each other's shoulders. Neither one of them wants to let go. They hold on for a good long while. 
And then Jacob, through the tears, he says, Oh, now that I know you're alive, I can die. I can die in peace. It's good to know that you're alive, Joseph. Joseph, he would help his father and his brothers. He would help all his family settle into the land of Egypt. He would teach them how to respond culturally and, and what to say, He'd provide some coaching along the way. The famine would get tougher even in Egypt, even with all the preparations that were made. But Joseph, he would protect his family, provide for his family. They'd make sure that they were taken care of. They'd get through those lean years. And then, well, Jacob was old and he was dying. And he did die. Joseph was right there, just as God had promised Jacob he would be. And then this interesting thing happens. When Jacob dies, all of Joseph's brothers get really afraid again because they think that maybe Joseph was just being nice to them because he knew that's what their dad would have wanted him to do. But now that Jacob's out of the picture, well, this would open up the door for Joseph finally to get his revenge on them. And so they're concerned, they're worried, they're fearful. Oh no, now we're really going to get what we deserve. And it's not until the very end of the Joseph narrative, not until Genesis chapter 50, that that famous line that Joseph said is uttered. And it's, it's, he looks at his brothers and when they're so afraid and they're so fearful and they just know now we're going to get ours now justice will be served and Joseph says do you think I'm God what you meant for evil God intended for good and he speaks kindly to his brothers he reassures them he builds them up you know as we read through and study through this Joseph narrative we see the faith of his father Jacob we see the faith of his brothers, and we look at it, and we know that this is not a perfect faith. In fact, it's a faith that missed out on a whole lot. Instead of having joy and, and comfort and, and impacting people and living the life God had intended for them, well, they spent a long time just living in the shadows, trying to keep things secret, trying, trying to hold on to their lies, living in fear, living in worry. They, they lost any kind of integrity and any kind of joy in their life. That There was no impacting people. Did they believe in God? Yes. But it wasn't until God raised up the young one, Joseph, and sent him away to, to really mature him in the foreign land of Egypt and make him second most powerful man in the world, that this dysfunctional, broken family could be reunited, that the good could return. In fact, that dream that Jacob had, you remember, he, he just hoped that the line of promise would go through Joseph. Well, it didn't really work out that way. The line of promise went through Judah. But God did bless all 12 sons of Jacob. They, 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 these became the 12 tribes. And as long as these 12 tribes would stay in covenant, proper covenant relationship with God, they would be blessed. Like Joseph's father Jacob, like his brothers, maybe you believe God. But at the same time, maybe you know you're missing out. You're missing out on the life God has for you. You, you. you need someone to come alongside you and, and teach you how to really study God's word so that you can live according to this and not just what you think is best. 
Like the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus teaches how to pray. You, you need to learn. How do, how do I pray? How do I communicate with God? How do I lean on God's wisdom rather than my own understanding? How, how do I live a life of joy in painful times? How do I live on mission? How do I disciple people? How do I impact others? How do, how do I live the life God has called me to live? You know, Jacob's, Jacob's sons, most of them besides Joseph, they, they believed God, but they still missed out on so much. We don't want you to miss out on all that. And the fact that you're involved here with us at Central, you need to know you are involved in a church that wants to come alongside you and equip you so that you can live the life that God made you to live. Because you know what? When the guy you thought was dead shows up alive, that changes everything. That inspires you to get out, share Jesus, and impact people. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your provision, for your protection, that even in times when we look around and our plans are going up in smoke and we don't even know where you're working, God, that you are at work. And all the evil around us, you're able to turn for good. God, may we share this good with our community, the goodness that you would give your son to die on the cross for us and to raise again so that we can live life with you on mission for you with joy and purpose here and now. God, we ask all this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.